Hello and welcome to Priority Roll, an Age of Sigmar podcast from sunny England. Join us as we discuss the ever-changing character of wargaming in the mortal realms. Grab your D6 and get ready for the Priority Roll. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Priority Roll. My name is Dan and today I'm joined by the infamous Stephen Foote <laughs> from the excellent podcast Ashes of the Imperium 40k. You should listen to it, Dan. It's great. I hear your co-host is handsome, funny, charismatic, has excellent hair and also does an, an amazing AOS podcast. A face for radio. Wow, 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 wow. Take that back, Mr. Foot, or I'll kick you off the show. Okay. Uh, so I've, I've invited Steve, my, my lovely co-host from Ashes of the Imperium, um, to, and, but most importantly, the, the probably the most, one of the most notorious narrative players in the Age of Sigmar UK scene, or, or dare I dare I say the world, um, you, you have a, a fairly fearsome reputation for being a bit of a narrative guru, don't you? I'd like to bring me a game. Um, I suppose, uh, yes, I, 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 I try, I try and challenge myself every time I do a new event or a new army and that generally means silliness. So yeah, I, I enjoy that and hopefully the players I play against enjoy it. So, um, yeah, you're, you're keep... not, you're not afraid to, to weave in a bit of cosplay or fancy dress into your, your kind of to, no. to assist with your narrative, are you? No, uh, I think, I think in some ways, um, like I say, for each project, I try and challenge something new, and that has taken me into cosplay. Uh, some of the strangest haircuts or removal of hair as well, um, even wearing tights, which is quite a... I mean, that's cool, mate. It's 2020. You can do what you want. I think, I think ultimately, if it's about bringing the idea to life, then I'll give it a go. I think that sounds perfectly reasonable. Nice, nice, lovely, reasonable approach to, to the game. Um, what would you say your most kind of infamous or famous or notable kind of narrative moment or army would be? Because you're, you're quite um, the, the coolest army award at South Coast Grand Tournament kind of has a, an informal nickname of the Steve Foot Award because you've been uh, you've been known to win it a couple of times, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I think it's um, it's I have won it twice, but it's, people make it sound like a lot more. Yeah. Is that really it? Is it just twice? Was it, yeah. was it twice, two years in a row? So it kind of made yeah. it sound like. Yeah. How funny. And what, what armies were they? Um, so the first time was for my Tomb Kings, as they were. Um, and that was, uh, <laughs> so that involved um, the theming, as it were, that uh, I had my own scenery that I took around with me. And this was a few years ago when um, scenery was a, a lot simpler than it is today. Uh, but to carry my army and my scenery from table to table, I made a large wooden crate that mimicked the Ark of the Covenant crate that the bad guys carried it around in. Um, so what I needed is my opponents to help me move it from table to table because I had two wooden posts that went through the metal straps on the side of the crate. Um, that's just that's just amazing. I love it. So so I, sp- I suppose my intent was, well, first of all, it allowed me to carry everything around um, in a box, which was really super easy. Um, but also just raise a few smiles, I think. And, you know, you turn up with the Ark of the Covenant and you kind of, do you play Tomb Kings, right? Yes, we're playing Tomb Kings. So I think I think for me, that was probably the first one. And then the second one was, um, oh, I'm confused now. Uh, must have been my lizard men. It was your floating temple, wasn't it? From the world that was during the end times. Yes, the, the lizard men floating temple. Yeah, so it was the the jungle temple taking off, leaving the going. Uh, Sod this, we're off. Yes, we're, we're going to go disappear and maybe come back and call ourselves Seraphon. 
We um, want to be celestial demons. So yeah, so again, yeah, exactly. So again, with that, I challenged myself with a bit of electronics. So it had one of the little static balls in the base of it. Um, so yeah, but again, I think for me, that was how I, you know, it's not just about big showy pieces. It was down to the fact that in the End Times book, Mazda Mundi was leading this exodus. And so I modeled Mazda Mundi, um, which was one of those weird times when, because it was the end times, there was a change of categories back in eighth where there was a cap on the amount of heroes you could have. And the Mazda Mundi model, which was actually a slant on the back of a Stegosom, was actually too many points to use in match play. But because end times moved it up, I ended up being able to use him. And it was really interesting. And I think this kind of goes to some of the points you want to cover is, so match play event, rules have changed. So people bring in all sorts of different things. But I put Mazda Mundi on the table. And although there wasn't a model for it, which, so, which I kitbashed, there were rules for it in the book. It was definitely a thing. I'd suggest out of the six games, three of the games, no one had seen it before. Uh, but what does it do? And you kind of say, you know, 700 points. 700 points. Oh, my God, what does it do? And it, it kind of threw them off a little bit in that they're used to playing Lizard Man. You've probably got this. You've probably got this. You've probably got this. I have to say... The other players that knew it just went, right, I know how I know how to deal with that. And they dealt with it and it was it was over quite quickly. But but again, I think so for me, building the army and taking the army was from the display to the models to how they played on the table. So yeah, it, it's all one thing for me, I think. Fair one. And the reason why we kind of wanted to talk to you today was because, as I say, you are very much focused on, on narrative gaming, but attend lots of match play tournaments. So it was really about kind of how you manage your expectations, what it's like to play in a, dare I say, a match play dominated environment in the UK tournament scene. Um, and and what it's what it could be like as as a you know potentially a match play focus player playing you you know what what to expect and how do you how do you balance what both players want to get out of a game because i think we've seen this phrase you know the social uh, contract of of playing warhammer and ultimately you are there to have fun and sometimes there is an ulterior kind of objective there of, of to do well at a tournament sometimes it is just to to have a, a, a few a few cups of tea or a few beers on, on a Sunday or something or, or Friday night, whatever, and um, and just play some games. And when you when both players have aligned expectations, I think that's when you probably have the most enjoyable games. When you have when people's expectations are dislocated, perhaps, and they turn up to an event not necessarily expecting it to be quite cutthroat and ruthless, and people bring their A game, they might come away from that event and being like, "Well, yeah, it was it was a rubbish event because I just got smashed." Whereas actually, if you knew it was a top tier event and you didn't bring a top tier list then you know it's, it's no one's fault that you got smashed uh yeah i'd say it was, it was your fault for getting smashed because and i think i think so it's a really good point and i think you know before narrative gaming was really a thing i, I was taking you know my narrative ideas and armies to match play events n- n- knowing that the missions we were playing the victory conditions that were in place meant I was not going to win. <laughs> I was going to end up down the bottom tables quite quickly. Um, but for me personally, I was happy with that because, again, I went along knowing that that was the structure of, of the event. Um, so for me personally, if I take something that's not um, powerful enough to win these missions that I know the missions that are there and I know what I'm likely to play against, you know, the meta, then I've got to expect to do poorly 
in game results, scoring results. The results of the game can be really good fun. Um, so I, I think for me, that's that's one thing. Uh, you're absolutely right. If I if I take my narrative theme, army, my weak list, my stories, all that stuff to a match play event, the one thing I always try and do is when I talk to the other player is to say, I am going to play the game. So if there's objectives to go for, I will go for those objectives. I will make it a game for them. I want them, you know, I'm not just going to run off the table turn one because the story says I'm scared of, you know, elephants or something. You know, I'm going to give them value for their time. Because mm. I suppose, uh, you know, that player has spent money on a ticket, money on a hotel, potentially, you know, using up using up a weekend away from, from family. And, um, you know, that, that's a commitment, isn't it? You Going to a tournament is, is a fair old commitment in terms of time and money and potentially even built an army just for that event. And yeah. if, they, if they rock up and, ah, you know, maybe game two or three and the sort of hasn't quite evened it out yet and they're still looking to, to have a, a kind of five or six really strong hard-fought games and then you've kind of rocked up and you're like, ah, my narrative is that I cast Mystic Shield as many times as possible. And you're like, well, it's just once. And like, <laughs> I'm a magical wizard. You know, do you know what I mean? It's kind of, that's when that, you know, that, that might not, so, not, not necessarily be a particularly enjoyable game for that person. Exactly. And, and, and to, to be fair, uh, I've only ever had once when, so what I tend to do is I'll, I'll turn up and I'll say, look, this is my units. This is the idea behind it. Um, you know, this character is leading the way or these two characters are vying for control of the army. So I'm going to be counting, you know, points for their units. And the other the player's like, yeah, sure, crack on, you know, whatever. And I had one event where I said, look, the whole story is that this one uh, Skaven warlord has got to do something amazing. Otherwise, he doesn't get to play in the next game. He's got to redeem himself. So that means I'm going to push him forward and I'm going to send loads of stuff with him. And the other player was like, so how was why how are you going to do that? Well, you know, I'll just I'll just run him and then others will run with. It. And so what what does that mean? And I, I I honestly got to the point where and he was a super lovely guy and I had a great game, but he he just thought I had an angle or he just thought I was changing the rules or something. He just thought I was trying to explain to him about how I was going to do this janky thing. And in the end, I said, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll, I'll just play the game. <laughs> and he, he beat me round three. I think sometimes... But did you escape more or do something heroic? That's the question. Uh, no, because I didn't want him to think I was saying, I'll do this and pull this fast one. Yeah. So I, I kind of had to just turn so it did down. He, did he play in the next game then? Uh, yeah, he did, because I didn't... Ah, oh, so you've cheated your own narrative, Steve. <laughs> so truth is out exclusive every, interview every, everyone, Steve, Steve everyone does, yeah. <laughs> so but normally what happens is because perhaps my story doesn't always have something to do exactly with the battle plan i've actually had it in times where the other person is actually rooting for the silly thing to happen or the fun thing to happen they don't let it but if i've got that chance of i make the 12 charge and then I managed to do three wounds that they failed to save and I'll have done it. You know, when you get the 12 in, yes. And then you get the three wounds in, yes. And it's like, come on, come on, come on. And they're like, no, 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 no. They, they, yeah, I want I want this snotling hero to, you know, be the champion. You kind of, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's increasing the other player's agency in, in your in your narrative yes are there any any tips for, for doing that you know for getting other players who aren't necessarily narrative players kind of on board with what you're doing so i think one of the things is you, if you've got like grudges that perhaps you've had with other armies at certain times you know if there is that scar veteran that's absolutely bugged you next time you play a scar veteran you're gonna say look in the last game i got absolutely ruined by that guy so we're gonna spend first two turns just absolutely trying to take him out now obviously you know he's a minor hero for anyone's army taking him out is not pivotal they're not necessarily so you know the other player can go okay well i'll just keep him back then and you can't do that and i'll put make a trap so that and if you go into the trap and you get caught then they're kind of like worry and this i think what happens is some players can just look at the list, look at the table and go, yeah, I've got this. You know, the, the, there's nothing really. I've, I'm just going to sit these two big, you know, Death Star units on the objective, scoring all the time. And, you know, you can't win this. So actually, let's have a bit of fun over here with this silly story thing. So I think my, I don't see my job is to inspire people to be narrative with me. I want to have a good game, but not at the detriment of those. And I think... There's, there's very few people that won't kind of go, you're mad, you've shaved your head like a monk, you know, come on then, let's have a laugh. And again, you know, the way I play is, um, you know, I, I try and set out some rules to start with. So it's things like, um, you know, flat on the green, if you roll your dice, um, is, is it okay for me to pick up dice to, you know, roll the saves if it makes it quicker? Or would you rather not? You know, you know, uh, you know, we're measuring like this. That kind of just that bit of etiquette. So you know, I'm not just messing about. I yeah. want to play the game in, in in a right in the right spirit. Um, but in the same way, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, so when I went one event I went to, I um, I ended up I had some trolls and I ended up with this grot um, on a. It was it was supposed to be a, a cave squig, but it was actually. It was a Boston's case, but actually it was on a cod. It was a giant fish. I won't f- ask. But but for whatever reason, he was going around with two merworms. And for whatever reason, it worked out for two games in a row. The merworms got something big and nasty down to one wound. And he went in with the spear and finished them off. So I just ended up bragging to other players like, yeah, he's a monster killer. He's going to kill you. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did. I've done a, a, a thunder task and I did a demon second first game it's like all right and i'm going after that model there again the, the missions were nothing about killing heroes or whatever but even in one game somebody deployed their model away from me and i was like oh a bit worried then a bit worried the monster killer's gonna get you you start were, to sort of generate the legend of this character yeah and yeah. and they were like do you know what i'm not having that and they just came diagonally across the table and unfortunately they flew and charged and killed me but that was a dynamic to the game that wasn't in the mission. It was just a bit of fun. And it, they, they still won. It, they didn't cost them the game. I didn't trick them into playing a narrative story so I could grab the objectives and win the game. So, yeah, it, 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 you, you can't go full narrative. And for me, a, a full-on narrative event means you probably even start your stories with players before you even go there. You know, you, there's a WhatsApp group and you can say you know, you know, an ally with me and we'll play the doubles game or yeah, if we play, then we can reenact that battle from whatever. And it, I think you just can't do that with a match play event. Well, you 
can in a way, I guess. You can, I guess you can, if there's a bunch of you going, you could potentially even set up a WhatsApp group and kind of determine your own mini narrative amongst your friends of like, yeah, sure, we're not all going to be playing in a narrative mission together, but let's all have maybe our, you know, maybe you're all taking orcs and you're trying to vie to be who's the killiest war boss. And that's yeah, about you know, number yeah. of kill points or, you know, I, I don't know. There's ways of making up. I remember, um, you know, there was like the narrative hijack of South Coast one day, uh, one year where, you know, there, there was a kind of almost like a, a side narrative kind of bingo list tick off thing. Yeah. Um, and actually, I, I was talking to Russ Veal from Facehammer uh, just before this podcast, actually. And um, we were just kind of discussing about, his, you know, his perspectives as a TO of how he kind of caters for, you know, obviously face hammer gt and south coast grand tournament are are both kind of very much match play events but how he caters for narrative players and he was saying how you know it's important to kind of understand your core audience but also cater for everyone that wants to attend so it makes it clear in the in the pack what to expect and if you kind of go to face hammer gt with a very kind of narratively focused list then then i guess that's the same you know what what we were discussing you know earlier of like if you don't do particularly well because you have um misjudged the kind of audience because you haven't read the pack then that's your fault as a player not the co's fault for running a kind of hardcore event let's say um and you know south coast you know dan wayne and russ have always been They've, they've made a conscious effort to include a story. Yeah. And part of that, I guess, is to appeal to all players. And I think that's something that Russ was saying, how the, the South Coast Grand Tournament kind of came out of them essentially wanting to, to run an event that they wanted to attend. They saw that there was a, a gap in the market for, for an event that was a fairly kind of light touch from a comp perspective. And, um, and that's what, why South Coast, I guess, one of the reasons why it came, came about. I think I think for me that spirit comes through with the you know coolest army award that you know we definitely had one year uh, one of the last ones I could uh, I went to was the, um, the there was a WhatsApp group for people that were taking coolest or wanted to take coolest and that was very much about sharing ideas and thoughts and you know how do you do this with the resin I've got a problem with that and there was a little sort of mini community there. Of people that just said that we, we're going to go along, we're going to take our armies, we're going to try our best, but actually, the you know the award we're all shooting for is coolest, and I think that then creates this other little creative and competitive little element that you know you don't get everywhere else. But it's interesting that you know South Coast can generate that and still accommodate it without upsetting the regulars i suppose yeah no i think i think that's a really key important thing is that you're both getting what you want as players out of the game and that your your kind of narrative leanings aren't impacting other people's enjoyments of the event as a whole yeah and i think again the guys are super flexible so so for example um that time i went i'd end up building some scenery which was um blackstone summit from the um early books of early times of uh age of sigmar and that was for a kind of demo game that me and Jonathan did on the Friday night. And we just played that and that was going to go into the, you know, it's a one-off game, but it was going to go into the my scenery stockpile and be used at Raw and all that sort of stuff. But it literally, I brought it along for th- that fun demo game because he painted all the demons, I'd painted all the Sylvanas and Stormcast, uh, Lady of the Vines and all that. But when we come to go and play game one, the person I was saying was like, oh, can't we use your scenery? And I'm like yeah but it, it won't be matching the table plan no let's play on your scenery so i ended up 
moving it from table to table, playing on the scenery. So nowhere long did anyone come along and say, I'm sorry, you haven't got a hill 18 inches by 14 inches in from that corner. And you haven't got, it's like, are you guys all right? Yeah, we're having a great time. Crack on, you know, so... Yeah, and I, I think, think that's that's kind of because of where you are in the in in the tables, as it were. You know, you, you're not you're not upsetting the kind of the top tables, are you? You're not kind no. of um, you know getting in the way of, of those that want to uh, be really kind of ruthless and and run you know kind of uh, top tier lists. But how do you in that day one piece where you're kind of games between games? Let's say you grudge someone yep. uh, game one, and that's that's a great way actually to to maybe set at least have one game on the first day that uh, that is going to go well because you could grudge someone that's a, that wants a similar outcome from their game and wants a, has a similar ethos to, to the event you can grudge someone and then you'll certainly have a, a fun game one but let's say you win that one just because for, for whatever reason your narrative lets you win or, or you know the mission works out in your favor and you win it quite well you then ping up to the sort of upper echelons of, of the of the swiss pairing system for game two and now you might then play against someone who is very very keen to do very well how do you how do you manage that um it, it did it did happen once that i played a game um random draw turn one and turn two i was at game two i was actually on table one and i just managed to get all the objectives and the, the player i played against was was probably you know top top 20 percent of all the players there i i did bring some flavor but i i did decide to make sure i played the mission so i was absolutely because i need i felt the responsibility of giving them a game or giving them a match play game giving them the game that they wanted yeah rather than i think you know you get down to the bottom tables and you know the the, the year i took on my scenery that we ended up moving around with the wheelbarrow uh, there was just one player with sort of middle tables player and he Mm -hmm. felt he felt a bit uncomfortable that it wasn't as per the mission as per the pack yeah so standard, I said standard middle middle play, table player. <laughs> well, he he wanted he'd, he'd come along and he wanted to play the pack. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. I had another box with pieces in that meant we could play it as per the plan. So he had the game he wanted. I had a great game too. You know, so it it was fine. And you have to respect that. I can't. I cannot dominate the players by saying, "Look at me. I've got a funny haircut. We have to play on my scenery, don't we?" No, that's not about making it fun. I mean, I don't, that, the other person's just going to be like, "Who are you? Get out!" Get so, out, yeah, your monkey weirdo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with your weird monk haircut <laughs> and your weird monk habit. So, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's it, it's it's understanding the games you're going to, the event you're going to. So, if, even narrative events I go to that are 100% narrative, crazy stuff's going to go on. I do always try. I do always check in with the organizers to say, I'm going to bring this. This is my idea. This is my, this is my thoughts. Because again, I don't want to surprise them because they might have things, you know, in the opposite end, they might have things lined up and ready to go that I don't know about. And I don't want to screw with that. And often if you do share it, then they can wrap that into something else and, team you up with somebody else yeah and, it, and so, it kind of incorporate it into the wider event so it becomes more than just your own personal thing yeah yeah i, I mean for me you know i can I, I love making the armies the background the scenery the outfits the videos that tell the story but it doesn't come to life until i'm playing a game with somebody and for me that is the kind of the reason to do it otherwise i, I would just be like a fine scale military modeler that could make amazing things 
and I do watch those on YouTube and I do admire the detail that they go to. But for me, it would be like, oh, I've made this great looking tank. Now I need to roll some dice with it. I need to go broom, broom, piao, piao. Otherwise. A, a noble, a noble aim for any. <laughs> Even whether it's got tanks or not. Um, so here's a question for you. Why do you attend so many match play events? Is it because there aren't enough narrative events in the UK? And if there were more narrative events, would you still attend match play events? I I, I, I moderate. Yeah, I think I think if there was a if there were if there were only if there were all all of the opportunities that I wanted to go away for a weekend and there was it was choice between one or the other. There was one of each running. I would probably always go narrative, but it's not that I don't like the match play. I can just get more out of the narrative. So if I've got an opportunity, especially I was, I was planning to go to South Coast this year because I had narrative army. It, it wasn't terrible. Um, and the, some of the other guys, the coolest guys were going and we were going to make a bit of a thing of it. So I, I, would, I would definitely go to that. And I've been to some of Warhammer world and I've, I, I think um, if there was, if, the one weekend I was going, if there was a choice, I'd probably go narrative. But I still see a match play event as an opportunity to have some fun playing my army, maybe compete for coolest. I'm not best painted. I'm an army painter. The best painted these days, the standards got so high that it's, um, you know, it's almost an army's worth of golden demon. And I don't have the patience to, well, I don't have the skill and I just certainly don't have the patience to spend six months on one army so what what do you what do you look for in terms of a match when you're looking at a match play event how do you determine whether it's would kind of fit with your narrative ethos i think it's, it's got to have a, a story or it's got to be linking back to something in the law or part you know whether it's um malign portents or soul wars or something like that that it, it, it's 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 referencing back to that even if the battle plans i think for me if the event was solely no background and it's knife to the heart you know it's just the you know battle plan one six five and twelve you know it'd be like i'm not sure there's there's nothing i i don't know if there's anything i can work with if that makes sense yeah no no i'm I'm with you i'm with you you're looking for something that that gives you a little kind of narrative seed to grow um something that you can use as a narrative hook yeah and it makes sense that makes sense for the other players because they may not, they may not have read all the background. They, they may not even care about the background, and that's absolutely fine. Because this is a match play event, and they don't have to. But if you kind of go, well, this, you know, it, we're at the time of early age of Sigma, and this is Lady of the Vines, and you know, she's got a soul seed in her chest that glows. It's like, yeah, that's cool. I get that. Uh, let's let's go. You know, it's like, what's she playing as? Well, she's just playing as a or a witch or whatever she was i can't remember what she was now but it's just like it, for me the, the match play's got to have that element or i think the other thing is i'll be honest and the, if there's a group of mates that are going and like you say we can have a bit of either a bit of grudging or a bit of um banter or competition between ourselves then that's the other way of doing it i think it's just that can still be done with match play. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of narrative slash competitive balance, um, one of the things that I often see from a narrative perspective is narrative players being maybe perhaps slightly disparaging towards good lists or, you know, if this is a narrative event, so don't we, we're not expecting to see strong lists. Now, why do you think people have such a kind of mental separation of good list and narrative list? Because it's absolutely reasonable to to design a a good list that is in keeping with the narrative. hundred percent. And I think um, some of the battalions are hugely narrative. And also you get a 
tactical bonus because you got your battalion. So I, I think for me, so sometimes it can be as simple as how the narrative event has been set out and what are the victory conditions. So if you want to, when we run Realms at War, there is no best general as such, certainly not in the last few events we've run, because actually it's your contribution to the rest of the team or it's your ability to get best best sports votes or you know for, for us the um the the top prize that we give out is the spirit of raw and the spirit of raw is made up of a complicated scoring matrix of you know what you've done beforehand what you've done with your army how you've done with your sports scores how you've supported the team you know what effort have you brought a bit of cosplay maybe and or or supported the event and you end up with this sweet spot where you end up being ever and and as a team we kind of go it's so and so isn't it we go yes it's so and so this year they are the spirit of raw now to achieve that has got nothing to do with the the list that you bring so you could bring a strong list or you could pick a rubbish list it's how you've brought it to life and how you've engaged with the whole event so i think sometimes a narrative event that leans too heavily on point scoring can feel like, oh, that person just brought a meta list, won all the points and won the event. So victory conditions will make a difference as to what the armies do. I, th- I think, we, you know, what we do know is if you bring that eels list and just time it right with the, t- the tides of the flood, you know, the, 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 the time of the tides, you're going to do all that stuff. But if you've got your own agenda, which is about escorting this turtle across the table because it's got the sleeping princess on it, then you won't be needing those tides or you won't be using them in that way because you are doing that. So, but I think there is a, you're right, there is a slight prejudice about, oh God, look at you bringing all of that to this event. I think you have to prove yourself to say, I'm not here just to smash face, but ultimately the fast smash face people are looking for results. And if the narrative event doesn't give you a score for doing that, then why do it? So why bring it? Yeah, no, that's fair. And I think it's it's up to the players to understand and appreciate the intent behind the event. But it's also up for to the TOs to curate that experience for their players. And if, if the TOs have designed, you know, they're saying, hey, we're going to run a narrative event. Um, it's going to be all about the story. And the way you win is taking, you know, take smashing face and taking you doing kill points. Then someone's going to say, hey, well, you know, I'm an orc warlord and my narrative is absolutely crushing the the kind of the, the armies of, uh, you know, the, the rest of the mortal realm. So I am going to take an incredibly strong list because that fits with an orky narrative. And it also seems to be a great way to win the event. And just because it is a narrative event doesn't mean that you can't try and win it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think I think also if events give you room to try and achieve other things, um, I'm going to use Raw again, but uh, so no, here's, here's a better example. So the game that um, Paul uh, ran, Fate of Sigmar. Yeah. Slightly unusual in that you got given a list to go and make the models and paint. So right from the beginning, it was very different. But uh the list I had was all heroes and I, I made them from a hollow heart. So, um, but what I'd said was that they, they were uh, searching for a missing gem of which one of them was um, the thief. So it was a bit kind of Cluedo, Agatha Christie kind of thing. Mm. And Paul said, great, I can work with that. Certain things will happen to your army during the weekend, which I will take models away or they'll go and do things. And, you know, you'll have to infer from those actions and things that happen, you know, which one is the thief. 
I was like, great, totally up for that. What I didn't realize is that Paul had then teamed up with Matt Lyons and he was the one manipulating it. And we had a game planned where I was trying to capture something from a, and, and, and suddenly it made me and Matt protagonists, which we'd not planned for. So it was, it was, it was Paul, the, you know, DMing it and setting these things up. So for me, it was just like, yeah, that's cool. We just, we, we, We've just created this other story that I didn't know was coming. Matt knew it was coming, but that was that was part of the fun. So, um, yeah, it, it, it setting out what are we trying to do this weekend? How are you going to be part of it? How do you want to be on that journey? Um, but in the same way, you've really got to make sure you know your event is 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 clever enough that people look at it and go, "Oh, I couldn't possibly go to that. That's far too complicated." Or you know, I don't want a funny for funny haircut or dress up like a, a rat. You know, it's about being as inclusive as possible so that the crazies can come, but also you can just bring your normal um, tournament army with some tweaks, perhaps, and bring it along and just see what it's like that's really interesting steve thanks for that um what we're going to do now is we're just going to cut over to the team behind uh whitney war one a uh, a brand new narrative event held in you guessed it in whitney uh, in 2021 and then uh we'll we'll jump straight back in with steve to uh to outro into kind of what you change and what you keep about age sigma it'd be really interesting to kind of hear your perspectives on that Hello and welcome back. I'm now joined by Charles and Phil of Whitney Warhammer 1, an Age of Sigmar narrative event held in February 2021 over the weekend of the 20th, 20th and the 21st. And it seems fitting, given that we are usually a, uh, a match play focused uh, podcast, and we've just had Steve Foote talk all things narrative about being a narrative player in a match play uh, dominated environment. It seems fitting that we should uh, invite on some uh, some narrative TOs on to. Uh, so welcome to the show, guys. Hi, Dan. Nice to be here. Hi, Dan. Good to see you. Good to have you both here. So uh, I guess the first question is, who are you and uh, what is the event? Great. So, um, yeah, I'm Charles. Uh, this is my dad, Phil. Hi. We're um, a couple of Age of Sigma players. We play all sorts of um, kinds of Age of Sigma. We, we, we're not just narrative players, but we, we definitely prefer that style of um, play. Um, typically, you'll find me running around... Um, w- shouting blood for the blood god with my cornate um, warriors on the battlefield and phil uh i play stormcast eternals not overly well but uh they're fun <laughs> yeah not playing overly well is probably a common theme and so tell me about your event so um we're going to be running an event next year and it's going to be a, a narrative event we're aiming to have 20 players uh, come along and play um, and we're going to be splitting up into two separate teams two uh, some invaders or liberators coming to reclaim the realm of akshi which will be made up of the forces of order and death at versus the defending chaos and uh, destruction forces so that's the kind of basic premise of the event um that we've got going on next year and it will be held in whitney in oxfordshire um, fantastic and, and what was it about whitney that uh, made you want to hold the event there is there a specific venue you had in mind yeah so there's a lot of things that made us want to hold the event here one it's nearby where we where all our scenery is kept so that's very very helpful um but the venue itself is, is a beautiful um grade two listed building and it's got a huge amount of space it's a it's a theater um, most of the time uh, but can also be used for community events and 
what we were thinking was within the you know the 2020 mindset of everything that's going on in the world that venue gives us enough space to have you know six by four tables for 20 people to play at but with at least six by four in between each of them which will have extra tables um to kind of help everybody be nice and spaced out but also um to kind of give you place to put all of your books and dice and gubbins and anything else that you've got so it doesn't break the immersion of the kind of beautiful tables that we're making and to try and give every place people to organize but also respect social distancing if that's still a thing in 2021 brilliant i think that's yeah that's absolutely i think tos have definitely got a uh, a level of duty of care and sort of responsibility to ensure that they're either running events within the restrictions or or with mitigations in place or as we have unfortunately seen for a large number of events this year that um to either postpone or, or cancel them and i think that's um i think everyone's kind of taking that uh you know seriously and uh, and that, that's that's good um but ultimately we are hoping to be able to i guess run this event uh, next year aren't we so um i i say we you clearly <laughs> um <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about the kind of what makes this different to a i guess a, a match play event what, what is it uh, you know outside outside of the the narrative story you know what is it that this event it, uh, offers differently yeah sure so Firstly, you're going to be playing six games over the weekend. And for any match play players, you don't need to uh, get scared that it's going to be a long, hard slog. These are varying point-sized games. So there'll be 750 points to start game one, and then uh, you know 1,000 points, 1,250, um, and then back to 1,000 again. And then on the second day, a, a 1,500 and a 2,000-point game. So there's a, going to be a varying levels of different games so some of them will be much shorter than your traditional two and a half hours um that you would have but they're all going to be with some kind of bespoke scenarios on bespoke tables that have um table-based rule sets as well so we'll have all the scene will be laid out and any special conditions for the different regions of actually that we're all going to be fighting in will all be on display on the board so you don't need to turn up and roll your scenery dice for example you're welcome to do that if you like but there will be rules for all of the scenery that's on the table and any special magic effects that are in in play or not in play uh, for each round will be out on the table sheets in the, the space that's next to you that that we talked about so that's kind of the the basic premise for what will be going on but there's going to be an awful lot more involved than just six games of of warhammer because the event itself is called whitney warhammer one which stands for open narrative event but the kind of subtitle for this is The Secrets of Denorig. And to be able to kind of get into the event and win the, the event for one team to win, you need to be able to solve and tell us as TOs what the secret of Denorig is. You need to be able to tell us what it is and what it does and then have enough knowledge to be able to use it and actually win the event. So to kind of play that out, between each round, there will be a command phase where the leaders, the participating leaders of each side um, will kind of get their teams together and they will use that time to um, talk about some of the clues they've gained, solve some puzzles that they may have had outside of the game, uh, which will lead them in a different direction. So there's a game on the table and then there's a game off the table for people to participate in. And that's kind of, we're hoping will stretch out into Saturday evening as well as into uh, into the event day in itself fantastic sounds sounds like a really interesting and unique mechanic that you've got so um, what was it that 
inspired you to to run this event? Well, there's there's a few different reasons. The, the, the first is kind of obvious in the sense that 2020, there haven't been many events. And most of the non-match play events that have been cancelled this year are for well into H2 next year. So you're not going to get to uh, be playing any narrative or um, non-match play events early next year. So we thought there'd be an opportunity to give those players something to look forward to. But the, the other reason uh, we have our kind of Phil and I have been playing in this little corner of Akshi for various different Christmas narrative campaigns that we've run and been playing in this toolbox for a couple of years now. And we've got to the point where uh, Child Trek Beast Tamer has conquered this bit of Akshi. Uh, despite all the odds, he's repelled the Stormcast and Seraphon uh, invasion to get rid of him, which was never intended to happen, by the way. <laughs> it was uh, just an awful lot of... Um, uh, bad luck. Bad luck and um, Stormcasts and Seraphon, old Seraphon book bouncing off the brand new Ogre Battle Time <laughs> was um, part of the reason. But anyway, that that has kind of led to a, a cataclysm in this region of Akshi, which is he, he's now disappeared and there's all these disparate warlords fighting in the story. And we thought, well, we can't play all of these disparate warlords. We don't have all those armies. We don't have all the different stuff um, required to play. So why not open that up? to the community and let them tell the next part of the story of this region that we've been writing for the last three years. And so that was the kind of other reason behind it. And then and then also there's a slightly more kind of personal reason uh, as well. Like we've been to a lots of great um, match play events. We've been to lots of great uh, narrative and, and non-match play events as well. And we went to Raw last year, which was a, an unbelievably great event um and i think everybody who went there would will, will tell you what a great th- event that was and the team were awesome guys you know like um, steve and um, mitzi and jimbo and um and ming said at the end of the event as they thanked everybody for being there they they literally said that they thank us all for our time and that they really love what they do but and they've been designing an event that they would love to play at is how they've approached Raw is design the event that they would love to play at and I, and Phil and I on the drive home were chatting about it and we're like it's kind of sad that those guys don't get to play at an event that they would like to play at so that's when we started talking about uh, about a year and a bit ago uh why don't we create one where other narrative players would love to play at too to give these guys an opportunity to enjoy themselves rather than doing all the admin and um organizing so that was another reason behind it no absolutely that sounds that sounds really interesting so you've uh, you've designed uh, let's say an event that uh, seasoned narrative veterans uh, <laughs> the likes of steve would enjoy uh, but what about say match play gamers who maybe are looking for something something maybe new to try or or are also looking just for an event to attend because it's warhammer at the end of the day is this designed for narrative newbies as well as veterans yeah no that, definitely so we've trying to be as open and inclusive as we kind of possibly can here as well so there's going to be loads of story that we're going to share with people and we hope people will latch onto it and share some story themselves and want to get involved and take it through but one of the things we've kind of offered uh, as part of the event is the ability that you know you can literally just turn up with your box of um Stormcast Eternals or your Slaves to Darkness or whoever you you want you don't need to create any custom units you don't need to build anything bespoke or scratch if you just want to 
if you've just named your commander and you've got uh, an army that you want to use and you want to come and take part in this story and figure out what's going on here, you, you can totally um, totally do that. And so we tried to remove some of those those barriers in terms of letting people, you don't have to have created your own custom models and you're written your own battle tome, that, though that stuff is wonderful and totally encouraged within our environment. Um, we're hoping that people who would haven't done any of those things would be interested in the event themselves and that they'll want to be able to come along. And the other thing as well is the kind of team format of the event, I think will hopefully encourage people if maybe they've got one narrative player in their local club or in their group and they, the others are slightly more um, involved in the match play scene, maybe they want to try something different and come and fight as part of a team together and can kind of you use that as a bit of guidance. So there will be a mix of players, I'm sure, who will be able to help um, encourage people to start telling stories and um, focusing on uh, the kind of larger story that's going on as, during over the event weekend. Excellent. And so you've mentioned teams a couple of times. Uh, there are two teams, right? Yeah, that's it, exactly. So, And there are four Grand Alliances. You've already mentioned uh, Order and Chaos in sort of our preamble, but how do Grand Alliances fit into the, the two teams? So so what we were, were doing for breaking out the other, the other sides of it is um, with Order being driven from this section of Akshi and no longer populating it, Nagash's nose has been a little bit put out here because he has all these Order civilizations willing to pay him his bone tithe that he'd been um, collecting to reinforce his Ossiat Bone Reapers. And, well, when you go and ask um, a Cornate warband for some bone, I don't think you're going to get a nice civil answer. That's much harder work. And similarly, if you walk up to a horde of Oryx and ask for them to pay you taxes and to check their dividends, they're not going to respond too kindly to it. So that's how we've kind of made that, that split. By chaos breaking this bit of Akshi, destruction has been allowed to run rampant. So they're the kind of disparate warlord defenders together and Nagash's best interest to try and increase his tithe is to have order and death running action um, so that's where how we've kind of created those two sides uh, as part of the story and um, we're the disparate warlords and the disparate nature of the campaign gives opportunities for people to have fun within their teams as well because you're going to have a commander for both sides which will be kind of player nominated they'll nominate themselves to be the commander and then they will have a bit of a role in trying to get the team to all work together and prioritize <laughs> that's, um, one of the, that's one of the things that i actually enjoy uh, the most about the narrative uh, events that i've been part of is that is the kind of like the whatsapp wheeling and dealing and uh you know all the sorts of shenanigans you can get up to pre-events that that form part of the narrative of the event itself exactly and that's one of the things like in particular we did set like we said while we've got that basic structure if you've got a narrative reason why you're um why you're high elves or why you're um uh why your uh, savage oryx want to be fighting for the forces of order or for the forces of chaos and you've got a proper reason for it there and then tell us and we'll happily put you on the other side but that doesn't mean that your commander is going to trust you because you're not naturally part of their allies and you might end up getting a uh, maybe not being let into the inner circle in the same sort of way or maybe you'll be playing your own game because i said to you earlier i said if you um it to win the event you need to be able to solve the secret of denorig during these command phases and then you need to be able to tell me what the secret of denorid can do 
and power it with knowledge. And you need to be able to do all of those things. And there's nothing to stop one player being able to do all of that on themselves. Uh, but it's just less likely. So who knows if anybody's going to want to go rogue or um, break off from their commanders or however else they want to approach the situation. This sounds like a fantastic event. and I'm really looking forward to uh, to it panning out. Although I have no idea what a high elf is. You've mentioned high elves there. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Luminous Realm Lords. Come on, get on brand. It's been <laughs> years and years. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just to, to wrap up, uh, tell us about ticket costs, when they're going on sale, how many players and all that jazz. Sure. Um, so we have uh, 20 players um, that we're hoping to get to come al along to the event. Uh, we're going to be releasing the full event pack so you can read all of the details in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're aiming for the 9th of September to get the event pack out and then have tickets on sale by the end of September so that everybody um, can pick them up on the last day of September. That's the that's the plan. Fantastic. Well, team, thank you ever so much for, for coming on to Priority Roll to talk about uh, your your first narrative event. Um, it seems fitting, as I say, to, to have this chat given the topic of the, uh, the episode itself. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time and uh, best of luck with the event. Thank you very much, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Uh, before, just before we disappear, though, is there a, do you have a Twitter handle or anything like that for the event itself? Yeah, the, the very best place to kind of uh, get hold of us is on is on Twitter, and it's at uh, at Warhammer Whitney is the is the Twitter handle that you can find us on, and that and you'll get all of the best information that we're releasing out there. Uh, if you want if you want to find me personally, I'm Charles Corn, or um, we've also got Phil D. Lots of numbers. <laughs> yeah, just goes through Charles. <laughs> Charles or Warhammer Whitney, you'll find us. Brilliant. Thanks, we've also um, put a pre-event message on TGA and the event pack will be up on TGA. So you can find it there as well. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. Take it easy. Thank Thanks, Dan. Cheers, Dan. Welcome back. And uh, I'm still we're here with Steve and we're going to cover uh, the uh, kind of outro questions. So before we do, Steve, you've got any shout outs for, for where people can get hold of you? You've got Patreon don't you and obviously raw as well yeah uh, so um start with raw so realms at raw realms at war uh it's a yearly event but not this year because of what we're having to deal with um is a yearly event two-day narrative event in cambridge um we're all getting we're going to be reworking uh what we had planned for this year for next year so that's going to be good fun uh you can catch me on twitter uh, where I'm at Tin Race Steve, and and if you want a bit more of an inside line of what I'm thinking about, what I'm doodling, what I'm carving and sorting, uh, then you can get me on Patreon, which is uh, www.patreon.com forward slash Footworks. Footworks with an E. So that's F W O T E Works. Awesome. Right, Steve. You know the questions. Uh, if you could keep one thing about Age of Sigmar, protect it, and the rest of the game is going to change, what would that be? And if you could only change one thing about Age of Sigmar and the rest of the game was going to stay the same forever, what would that be? So what would you keep first? I, I, I'm, I'm going to be really boring and just say I'd keep keep the double turn rolling yeah. for initiative. Uh, well, so we've unfortunately you can't say that because everyone kept saying, yeah, I like the priority role. And it was beginning to sound like I'd paid people to say, I like the priority role on a podcast called Priority Roll. <sighs> so, so I'm afraid you're banned from saying that, Steve. Think of a new thing. So I think I'd have to say I'd say I'd, I'd keep the three ways to play. Yeah. I think I think they've been hugely influential in shaping the game. Um, and I think they've benefited narrative players as much as match play players in that you can have this really simple conversation with somebody 
and they just kind of go, yeah, let's play that way rather than having to say, well, I've got this story and I need to change this. And, you know, as soon as you say it's narrative, then I think it opens doors. And I think in the same way, if you, if you say risk play, match play, people know exactly what you mean. So that's what I'd keep. All about having a mutual understanding and setting your expectations for the game, isn't it? Yeah. And the, yeah. the three ways play uh, allow you to do that in a more yeah. kind of, in a, in a structured and labeled way. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So what was the one thing you would change? So the one thing I'd change. The rest um, of the game is going to stay the same forever. There's a part, there's one thing about 8th edition that I always liked, and that was the magic phase. And that there's this idea of, um, there's a kind of a psychology level to it. I just don't see in Age of Sigmar. Sort of the, the ebbs and flow of the winds of power, the the gamble of the dice, the fact that you can miscast and go crazy, and yeah, yeah, kind of, and, and the, I think the drama behind it all, the drama and, and, and the and, risk. And in many ways, it was having those cards that you kind of picked up. And you go, should I cast this? I'm not sure. Might do that second. And there was the whole kind of like, and that person was like, "Ooh, shall I do that?" For me, it was just there was a whole kind of mental game to that which was very abstract compared to, you know, what was happening on the battlefield in a way. Um, but I, yeah, I did. I, I, I really enjoyed that bit of it. So I, I quite liked that to come back into the game. And how, how would you, how could we do that based on the kind of structure of Sigma as we know it, you know, are, are they going to bring in a brand new phase you know, it's the hero phase, then it's the magic phase or it's the magic phase, then it's the hero phase. Maybe they're going to do that, but how, how in the current structure of Sigma, how could you see that being done? Um, well, currently you pick a spell or spells, for your for your wizard rather than having access to all the spells and i think that's where perhaps the 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 options of um and some of the risks and rewards that you had within eighth is that you know i had the life deck in my hand so you know i can pick any of those so suddenly i've got it's a lot more options there and it's like well you know, do I, you know, if I do go after this land and he casts Throne of Vines, you know, am I in trouble? Oh, and and I, I suppose for me, it's, yeah, so I, I don't really know what it means to the game. But yeah, if, if you could have access to all of your spells, I think that would be, that would bring some of that um, tension back into it. Maybe something then for Malign Portance, Malign Sorcery 2 or something like that, you know. Yeah. Next, the next season of, of magical kind of input into the game, maybe we can see something similar. Yeah. Who knows? The great thing about Age of Sigmar is that, you know, it's always developing and the, the mortal realms are endless. Endless possibilities. Yes, exactly. Steve, thank you very much for joining uh, me today on uh, on this podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me on. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I almost introduced you as Ashes of the Imperium. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Steve, uh, hopefully we'll get to roll some dice soon and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Cheers, dude. Thanks for listening to Priority Roll. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at Priority Roll on both Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email, priorityrollpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash priority roll and leave us a voice message. If you want to leave us some feedback, we're always looking to improve, or if you just want to suggest a topic to talk about on one of our upcoming shows, then feel free to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening to Priority Roll. <laughs>